Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Why don't you just put your hands together for Andre? Yeah! <laughs> Thank you for that. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Where are we? What are we doing? It's Palm Sunday. That's great. We're going to um, we're going to share the word from a few different passages in uh, about, about the triumphal entry. We've already had the Palm branches handed out. Um, I want to thank uh, everybody for your patience uh, with me specifically getting as we're getting moved and uh, setting up our new house. Turns out one of us is a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we are, uh, we're getting settled. I appreciate the other, um, the different preachers that we've had. It's been great to have a great preaching team around us. Sarana, Tim, Pastor Fenn, so grateful for you guys. The next few weeks, we're going to try and unravel a few of the mysteries around the resurrection. And, um, and so I'm very, very grateful um, for that. Uh, the Easter begs the question, what sort of predicament did we get ourselves in to require the Son of God to be executed? It's a remarkable thing when we think about, truly think about what took place at Easter. And um, I want us to look with fresh eyes today as we look at the triumphal entry. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a country song that kind of goes something like this. There's a line of that, this that I, says, I'd go to jail for her. Anybody heard that one? <laughs> I'd go to jail for her. Question, question I have for you all this morning. What would, what, would a, what, would, what would you go to jail for? Like, what would you go to jail for? What, what sort of a cause is that near or dear to you that you'd be willing to risk some of your personal freedom for? It's quite a question. Because there may be a certain threshold where you say, no, the cause is more important than my personal comfort. What would that be? In this, in this song, he's referring to his little girl. What would you go to jail for? What would, it, what would it take for you to stand on your conviction so strong that you would be willing to publicly be humiliated? What would that be? We, in our men's group, once we... We ask this question, um, what, what would it take? What would be the threshold to divorce your spouse? And all of us good Christian men, of course, wouldn't, wouldn't even entertain that thought. But I wonder if there's a threshold where something happens, because for me, I've thought of it a number of times. What would it take if, for me to be willing to stand so strong on a conviction and, and so resolved 
that I'd be willing to take a, a punishment of some sort. I don't know, many of you men may have thought of this. What happens if somebody breaks in my house and just so happens you have a firearm not that far away? Would you use it? And it was quiet in that Pentecostal church. <laughs> and, a, and a hush. There's a kind of hush all over the world. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. We used to say, anybody ever used to do a sword drill? Swords drawn? Yeah, carefully you don't cut yourself. We're going to open up the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 23. I'm, gonna, I'm going to go from palm branches to prayer today. Chapter 21 of Matthew says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the mountain of olives, just Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. If anybody asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately send them. This was done to fulfill the prophecy. Some of the things are going to happen in the next six days in the life of Jesus were simply to fulfill the prophetic word that he was the one who was promised. Here's one of them from Zechariah chapter 9. Go and uh, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming. Yeah, look, your king is coming um, to you. He's humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Next, <clears throat> most of the crowd, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. Where, where are we? Okay. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the animals to him, animals, two animals. And they threw their garments over the colt and sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats. This, this, is gonna, this is, looks, looks like quite a bit of confusion on the street. It spread the coats on the road ahead of Jesus, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. He was in the center of the procession, and the crowds all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was stirred as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. Father, I thank you for your word. It still speaks loud and clear, and I thank you today. You have a clear word for your people. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I want to tell you a true story. Um, before I do, I want, to just, I want to just set the picture. Jesus is resolved to take the ultimate punishment, and nothing is going to deter him. Nothing's going to stop him. He's going to go all the way to the cross. This is over a six-day period now. These next five or six or seven chapters are really only, they take place in, in a few days. Um, uh, it's really important that you get this because he is, he is resolved. He's not going to turn back and he's going to do the right thing. He's resolved and he's going to do the right thing. The best decisions are pre-decisions. You make a decision before you have to make a decision. Uh, this, is, this is my only message to teens. <laughs> make a decision before you have to make a decision in a moment. Make a pre-decision. I made a pre-decision after I got saved to tithe. I, I auto-tithe now. It comes out instantly. It's a pre-decision. I don't come and wonder, <clears throat> Sunday morning, I made a pre-decision. I'm going to church. It's a pre-decision. Um, 
I was, I'm going to tell you a true story right now about, uh, I was going to my uh, grandson's birthday last Sunday, and uh, I was in the Walmart parking lot. Now, just going to Walmart uh, cr- creates a stir for intercession. <laughs> segment of humanity that requires redemption. <clears throat> um, and I'm in the parking lot, and um, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm resolved I'm on the way to a birthday party. And, uh, and all of a sudden, somebody slaps on my window. Not unlike Will Smith. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit shocking because you're like, you're just driving away, and all of a sudden, you get this hand on the window. And I rolled down my window. I was, I was like, what? Like, buddy. And he says, did you know that you just backed into that truck? I know, I know. I don't need any more police reports, any more insurance claims. <laughs> I just want to get to my grandson's birthday party. So you're still, I'm sort of shocked and wondering what to do. And, um, of course, you want to do the right thing, Owen. So what is the right thing to do at this point? So, of course, I jump out of my vehicle, and I notice now there's four women over here and a child are wondering what just happened. And there's a fellow having a cigarette waiting for his wife to come out of Walmart. And he sees some action over here. And the guy that just slapped my window, him and his entire family are wondering, what's going to happen? So I did, did what I thought was the right thing to do. I got a piece of paper and a pen. Went over to that vehicle. I'm, so I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what I thought about doing. And then I'm going to tell you what the outcome is. <laughs> now, none of you would ever have done what I was thinking about doing. None of you. All you cherubic-like, halo-wearing. So, so I looked and I, and I noticed that really... Because I heard the, you know, the beeper in your the truck, you're getting closer, beep, 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 beep. And so, at which point, you know, you're supposed to do something, you're supposed to, like, stop, and, which I did. I get out, and there's really, really no big deal. So I took the pen, piece of paper, and uh, I thought the right thing to do would be to write my name and phone number on that piece of paper. But here's the thought on the way to the windshield, to put the paper while these four women are watching. The fellow with the number seven, the guy that just slapped my window. So I'm looking at him, and, I, and <clears throat> now, now here's, here's what I just about did. Um, I want to say, everybody's watching. They think I'm writing my name and phone number down. So sorry, have a nice day. <laughs> no, 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 no that, that's what I thought about doing. Now, none of you would have, <clears throat> but I've just had enough with police reports and insurance claims to say I wanted to just get to the birthday party. But, I, but honestly, I was resolved to do the right thing. On the way to doing the right thing, there's a thousand opportunities to do the not-so-right thing. And there I was in the parking lot. And... Uh, And so what I did do is I said, I'm so sorry. Somebody said I hit your bumper. 
I wrote my name and I wrote my phone number. And for the next two days, whenever I got a call that said unknown caller, my heart would start to like, I said, gosh, what's going to happen? Because maybe... Maybe, because I didn't see any damage, but maybe he looked for damage and all of a sudden, you know, well, insurance companies and people and what am I going to do? Well, I was resolved to do the right thing. So that's what I did. I wrote my name and my phone number. And they probably thought it was a complete scam because there was no mark on the car, which I wanted. That was my first idea for the first note. So I... um, it's just interesting to me because when you look at what Jesus was doing on the way to do the right thing, and he knew exactly what was happening. Uh, a few chapters earlier, he says, he says that my, my the, the, the um, no, I'm just going to quote it. In, chap, in, in, in Luke, it says, there is a terrible baptism ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden until it's accomplished. He, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew the, what he was meant to do. He knew what the Father had asked him to do. He was resolved to do it. He was on the way into Jerusalem. Was he riding on a donkey, or was he riding on a colt? Isn't that interesting? Hey, I, 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 knew, I thought he was riding on a donkey. He's riding on a colt, an unbroken colt, and he threw a, a coat over it. Anybody ever broke a horse before, ever got on a horse and tried to break him? No? What do you? Yeah. Well, as soon as you throw something on a horse, yeah, hey man, as soon as you throw something on a horse, a foreign thing on a horse, of course, they start to snort and rip and and you sure don't jump on right away. It's just interesting to me because, because he's on his way and he says, if... In, in, in the book of uh, Mark, the same story. This is the same story is in all four, all four uh, Gospels. It, he says this. He says, uh, they, he said, when you, get to, go, when you get to town, go there. And, if any, and, and as they were untying the colt, the bystanders said, what are you doing untying that colt? This, uh, this is how I felt in the Walmart parking lot. <clears throat> what are you doing? You know, people want, what are you doing? Um, the... <clears throat> I would have liked to have said, the, the Lord has need of me, I must leave now. <laughs> it's just an interesting question. There's, they're, 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 they're stealing a colt and, a, and a, the mom. Like the mom's going to go along and see if the colt's okay and the colt's going to follow the mom. And it's just an interesting interchange that's taking place because they've just stolen two donkeys because the Lord has need of them. Uh, the, Jesus is about to accomplish something, and, and I think one of the, he's fulfilling prophecies, but he's also probably reminding everybody that he's the Lord of all creation. He can jump on a donkey, broken or not. That thing has to come under the authority. He, it's just interesting. What, what happens when you're on the way to do a good thing, the, the right thing? There's a thousand opportunities to do another thing. Jesus was resolved. And he wasn't going to give up because he knew that you and I's salvation was on the line. And he could see through the centuries. And he said, there's going to be that Lorne guy that's going to need some help in a Walmart parking lot one day. I want you to feel the tension of the story. Because what happens is, is the flesh and spirit are always at battle with one another. The Bible says they're enmity. That means they're enemies. Your flesh and your spirit are like two badgers in a bag. 
there's going to be a fight. <laughs> on, on your way to doing the right thing, pre-decide to do the right thing before you have to wonder, what do I do in the middle of, what, what do I do? I, I want to get into the story because it's interesting that, that Jesus was so clear about what he was going to do. And, and this is very specifically a Passover, uh, right, where the blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts. He's embodying the story now. The, the Jewish people were a celebratory people. They had festivals and they had feasts and they were, they were like their calendar. And, and this is a very specific time. Uh, and, and, um, and, and I want to just remind us how that Jesus' life was perfectly timed prophetically. And we're told that for every prophecy that says he's coming the first time, there's two about him prophesying the second time he's coming. We're to be a watchful people because he's coming again. The events were all prophesied, and the detail is amazing. It's called the triumphal entry. Jesus comes to town. And so I just want to, I want to break it down a bit, but I mostly want to make this point is that he didn't back out when he had lots of opportunity to. It's the only time that he said he's going public. Other times when he would come and do things, he'd say, okay, don't tell anybody. This is the first time that he's willing to make a tr- uh, an entrance uh, publicly because why? He's fulfilling the prophetic word. The mandate is clear. Palm trees were always a symbol of triumph. It's like when you arrive in Maui. <sighs> I know. I know. Palm, palm trees meant victory over death. It meant, it, it meant overcoming. And so palm trees grow in the desert because they overcome the climate. Deborah sat under a palm tree as a, ju- as a judge to get strategy to overcome. And we're told in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, uh, it says, And before the throne, clothed in white. Le- let me just read it. It's probably better. I just paraphrased it in my notes. Revelation chapter 7. In verse 9, it says, yeah, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every tribe and every nation standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white, and they held palm branches in their hands. This is, this is the same prophetic picture. It's a fulfillment of that. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb. What the, what the people were all shouting, it was actually like a prayer and a declaration, Hoshana, or save now. They all were declaring his lordship of who he is. He is truly the Messiah, and he's not backing out, and he's not backing down, and he's resolved to go all of the way when he could have taken a little side street, but he didn't. I want you to catch the heart of Jesus that he's not giving up. He's not backing down. He's going to do the right thing regardless of the consequence. Even his life, he goes all the way. Um. There's about, there's about three times the amount of people in Jerusalem because it's Passover. Probably about two million people would be there. And the road from Bethphage and Bethane into, into Jerusalem is about two miles. This is a very, it's a, it's a bit of a go, but two miles is not that long, really. Conquering kings would ride in on war horses, but Jesus comes in on a colt right. that had never been ridden. <laughs> These are all, it's, a, it's a little bit like the freedom truckers coming to town. A little bit. Freedom's on the way. He's going to do the right thing. And he's not backing out. Um, He's very determined. And he's focused to do the Father's will, confirm prophecy, 
and openly announce that he's truly the king. This is nothing like a Roman triumphant war. When, when Romans would come to town on war horses, they'd bring all their captives with them. And then they would end up in the Colosseum for a little bit of sport. Jesus, as the entering, the conquering king, comes in another way, on a colt. There's three groups that are watching. The visitors of Passover, the locals who have seen Lazarus raised from the dead. It says in, Romans, or in John chapter 18, it said, all the people that just seen Lazarus rise from the dead, they, were so, they, they said, okay, we're following. And they're following along. It was part of the entourage. And then there's the religious leaders. Um, when you read, when you read um, John's account in chapter 12, it says that comes on a donkey's cold. His disciples didn't realize at the time that he was, this was the fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered that these scriptures had to come true before their eyes. Those in the crowd who had seen Jesus call Lazarus back to life were telling others about it. That was the main reason so many of them went to meet him because they had heard about this mighty miracle. And verse 19 says, Then the Pharisees said to each other, We've lost. Look, the whole world has gone to him. It's like there was a battle, but all of a sudden, they, 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 this is what, when the religious leaders were watching, they said, Jesus wins. It shook them up. It says it shook up all of Jerusalem when they came to town. Um, Psalm 118 is a kind of a prayer, Hoshana, which is on our, our palm leaves. Save now, save now, save now. Jewish people and religious leaders were spiritually blind. They were spiritually blind, and resisting the truth left them more and more blind. What would you go to jail for? Sometimes people ask me if I practice what I preach. I say, goodness, no. I preach what I practice. He, something I want to talk about because between, right, right after this, he gets into town. They, they set up, you know, he washes some feet, he does some stuff, uh, prophesies the Holy Spirit's coming. Um, he meets with the boys in the upper room. Tells him somebody sitting at the table is about to betray me. And then he goes to the garden. I want to talk about prayer. Um, it says in uh, Luke 11, and, and reading that this week, I, I, I just really, really love this. Where it's, It talks about the eye, how we see. And um, it says, your eye is the lamp of your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul, but an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges it into darkness. Make sure that the light that you think you have is not really darkness. It's a little mind-blowing emoji. Make sure the light that you, that you think you have is not really darkness. Do you know, do you know why we're not told? We're not, when Jesus said, the disciples said, teach us how to pray, he didn't say pray that the sun comes up every morning. He didn't say pray that way. You don't have to pray. Did anybody pray the sun come up this morning? Didn't have to, right? It's under the authority already of the creator. set in motion. That's okay. But he does say this, pray the kingdom come and your will be done. If his kingdom had already come and his will was already being done, why would he ask us to pray that kind of a prayer? God's will is not being accomplished on the earth. He's left it to you and I. It's under the jurisdiction of the born-again body of Christ. His will will not just happen unless somebody enforces his will on the earth. I reminded somebody this week, I said, I've never received a check that was signed Jehovah Jireh. He moves on the hearts of people to give to his, to build his kingdom. So he's, then he says this, he says, he says, 
If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant. As though flooding, as though, as though a floodlight is shining onto you. But this is just such an important thing. How you see determines so much on how you live. How you think determines how you live. Your perception is so important on, on your behaviors. I try to teach our kids that never is nobody watching. Bum, 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 bum. And then just deal with your own little imagination on that. In the Walmart parking lot, was Jesus watching? No dark corners. Anybody here want to admit we got some dark corners? I realized I had some last Sunday afternoon. It's embarrassing to throw around my glasses like that. <clears throat> um, I just wanted to think about this. When I write my connection with the Lord, one of the things I write is my prayer time, my prayer, my prayer life. Your, your relationship with the Lord is likely as good as your, how your prayer life really is going. It's, it, it's, it determines your interactions. Your relationship with any relationship is determined on how, the, how clear the communication, the connection. My relationship with my wife is largely based on my level of communication. My communication is bad. My relationship is likely bad. This prayer stuff, um, um, I, I just, I've found so much comfort these last four months reading the Psalms. I just so much comfort. And in and, uh, and, and reading chapter 13, uh, Psalm chapter 13, I don't know why this struck me so much, but, but this is, this is uh, um, Eugene Peterson calls these naked Psalms. Chapter 13, it says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? Can anybody relate to feeling that level of separation? Jesus was, was about in a little bit to say, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, about, he's, he's coming to that. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemies have the upper hand? I think that many, maybe one of the greatest proofs of the authenticity of Scripture is its grittiness. Every day I have sorrow in my soul. How long will my enemies triumph? If I was going to start a religion, I doubt if I'd write in the book some of these wobbly bits of humanity. David is... We're going to talk about Jesus' prayer in a minute at Gethsemane. But I just want to give you permission... To shut off your religious editor when you're praying and allow the emotions of your heart to surface in honest prayer, not religious Jesus prayer. David is, is incredibly uh, raw. That, that the Lord doesn't mind you explaining how you're really doing. It shouldn't be a surprise to you. I shot up a dozen prayers on the way to the front of that white chev. Lord, I want to do the right thing. See, see I, I get David's heart. I, I get it now. Because I've been through some times where I used to say, devil, watch out, I'm about to give up. But for the last number of months, I've more been saying, Lord, get me out of bed. Just get me going. And sometimes Kelly would hear me just say that one word prayer, Jesus. 
which was enough. That was good enough. I so, I so far have survived 100% of my worst days. And so have you. <clears throat> we need to shut off the religious editing and let our hearts speak unrestrained. David's all over the map. He's victorious one day, he's suicidal the next. Honestly, when you, as you scoot through the Psalms, you go, I get him. I get him. Why have you forsaken me? I love you, Lord. Who, is this the same guy? Can that happen all in the same body? That level of uh, emotional separation? Dear Lord, take me now. Oh, I love you, Lord. It's my joy to serve you. Um, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. My guilt is overwhelming me. My burden is too heavy to bear. My wounds fester. My back is filled with searing pain. I am feeble and utterly crushed. Can anybody relate to wanting to be that honest in prayer? I think one of the, one of the most interesting things to me when someone says, I asked them would they pray, they said, oh, I'm just not sure how to pray. I said, well, do you think the Lord... Is confused with English, or you have to speak Aramaic, or do you? Th- what? Why? Just, and it could be as simple as this. The, I love it when people pray publicly, but very here. Let me just say, many times, like the Pharisees, we pray to be heard rather than pray from our heart. David's David's in anguish. Um, if this was my journal, I'm not sure if I'd want it to go public. The Lord chose to canonize the Psalms. Nobody's reading my journals. Because I do say some stuff in there. Hardly seems uh, Jesus-like. God's okay with this. I don't, think, I don't think we can get away with too much grittiness in too many churches. Because we like to sound a certain way. So much of my praying is so sterile and so formal that it doesn't allow my heart a range of emotions. It's like I have to clean up my language a bit before I need to talk to the Father or something. I mean, I'm probably the only one. So shout to the Lord. Give yourself permission to shout. That's, that's, that's repeated a number of times in the Psalms. Shout. Oh, Lord, we're just going to be somber and sober and sterile before you just now. No shout to the Lord. Um, Don't let feeling lonely turn into agreement that I am lonely. So here's the transition in expressing yourself honestly and emotionally because if you're not careful, you get sitting on the pity party. It's one thing to say, I feel like dying, rather than I am dying. Whatever you put I am in front of becomes part of your identity. That you feel lonely, the Lord wants to hear that. If you start repeating over and over, I am lonely, pretty soon you'll start sucking your thumb and curl up. We got to get past that. I'm getting to Gethsemane. Give me a minute. I'm on my way. It's different to say I feel forsaken uh, because th- than I am forsaken. Feeling forsaken can become I am forsaken. Watch, watch the I am's. Pastor Finn last week said, I am was the name of Jehovah. Um, I want to come forward in the story a little bit. 
because David's prayers are on the other side of the incarnation and the resurrection. Uh, I want to get to the uh, oil press, Gethsemane. It means oil press. Mark chapter 14 um, and verse 34. Um, hope I got the right scripture. No, no, I don't. Chapter 14, verse 34. And they came to an olive grove called Gethsemane. Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. On the way up to Gethsemane, sometime the commentators are split on whether chapter 17 in the book of John was uh, the prayer in Gethsemane or not. But it's one of the most intimate prayers. You get to hear Jesus talking to his dad. It's profound. And it begins talking just about himself. The thing you've given me to do, I've done. It's beautiful. It's, it's a great model of prayer. He says, sit here, I'm going to go and pray. So he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. I want you to feel the emotions of Jesus now. He says, okay, you eight, stay there. You three, you come with me. Judas, you're off like doing a nasty thing. But he says, he, says, my, I'm, he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. I, I, want, to, I want to make a note. Uh, history, human history began in a garden. Disobedience, sin began in a garden. Now we're about to see someone who's completely obedient to the Lord in a garden. And in Revelation chapter 21, you'll see that it ends in a garden where there's no more tears, no more pain. You're not in deep distress. Your sorrow isn't, uh, or your soul isn't great sorrow. But I want you to see him. He's in deep sorrow, deep distress. And he said, my soul is crushed with, with grief to the point of death. He, he's in the, you, you can see he just came through the Kidron Valley. It means gloomy. Um, it, it, the reason it was gloomy is because the, the temple was up on the top of the mountain and the Kidron Valley flows down. He's down, at the olive groves are on the side of the hill, Mount of Olives on the side of the hill, but the Kidron uh, Valley, it's like this, and there's a stream that comes down it, and they call it gloomy because many times it was, t- t- it was, it was uh, tainted with blood from the sacrifices up on top of the hill. So, so Jesus is now on the side of the hill, and he's in the olive grove, and he said, I, here, here's what's happening. He said, I'm uh, overcome, and I'm, I feel like I'm going to die. And he, makes it, and, and he prays. Now listen close, because I'm going to maybe change the story a little bit for you here. Um, he's in the same, but historically, King David crossed the same valley as a deposed king, betrayed by his son. Jesus, also rejected by his own, and in a moment, about to be rejected by his closest disciples. David's counselor, Ahithophel, hung himself. Absalom killed himself by hanging in a tree. Judas went and hung himself. Jesus is about to take the judgment of the world and curse it as everyone who hangs on a tree. Matthew chapter 26, it says, he, be- he began to be filled with anguish and great distress. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Peter has a sword. He's carrying that day, but Jesus has a cup. It's prayer time. And Jesus, effectively, I always used to think this meant he was asking the Father, is there some other way? But as you read through the Passion, you see some of those footnotes by half of the commentators around the world. He does, he's not referring to the cross at this point. You'll, you'll, remember, you'll remember while he was in the garden that blood hits. Blood came from his pores. That blood was not redemptive. It was the blood on the cross. So what's taking place here? 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus is the express image of the Father, and he's face down. If we think that the Father is far away, soon we will start to feel far away. Gardens are typically quiet places where you go and meditate. It's a different story. There's bombs going off. There's a spiritual battle taking place. Holy, a holy God and unholy humanity. But there's only a sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. If, and if he doesn't follow through with the cross, you and I will be permanently separated from our Lord. If he doesn't go all the way, if he doesn't resolve to do the right thing. In Luke chapter 22, same story. In Luke 22, it says this. Just, just, just follow along. I need you to hear this for the first time. Accompanied by the disciples, he leaves, and he goes to pray. And it says that he's, they're about a stone's throw away. He kneels down to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup suffering from me. And I want your will, not mine. And then it says an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And then he prayed more fervently. I'm not sure if you've seen that before. It's the only place in the Gospels that says an angel appeared when he cried out. Angel appeared, and then he prayed more fervently. That his sweat fell to the ground with great drops of blood. If you, went, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, swords drawn. Hebrews 5 verse 7. Listen, listen to this. While Jesus was on the earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. What's he referring to? He's referring to Gethsemane, the press. While he was on the earth, he prayed, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could deliver him out of death. And God heard his prayers because of his reverence to God. What took place at Gethsemane? Let me offer you a, a counterpoint than you've heard before, maybe. What I think was taking place is, a, is that the devil was trying to prematurely take Jesus out before the cross. He said, I'm going to die. I don't know if you ever felt so much sorrow or anguish or separation. He said, I feel like I'm going to die. He throws himself in the ground. And he makes, he makes it his point to say, Lord, this, this can't happen. Because if, if, if we stop now, we won't get to the cross. And so the cross that the atonement of mankind will be made. Keep me alive. In, in, the, in the Passion Translation, he, he's, he's, saying, he's saying, I feel like dying, but keep me alive so I can finish my course. During Christ's days on the earth, he pleaded with God, praying with passion and tearful agony that God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion, his prayer was answered and he was delivered. I think in Gethsemane, the potential premature death was possible. How else is he spared from death? He's got a thousand choices to step back, but instead he battles into the night, face down, that he would not miss the next day with his appointment at the cross. Gethsemane, he goes to Gethsemane to get caught. And he knew he'd be there. Why, why did Jesus go, Judas go there? He knew he'd be there. Jesus goes, he lets himself get caught. God replied that he strengthened him and he would not waver from doing the right thing. Last point. Uh, I, want to, I just want to give you one of the things that has really helped me in prayer. 
Maybe you already know this, maybe you already do this. If that's the case, just have a little yawn, we'll be over in a second. Prayer is critical because we are allied with the Almighty to accomplish the will of God and the purposes of God on the earth. Without you, he can't do it. Prayer's partnership. We live in a world where God has granted humans and angels the dignity of causation. It means we're able to make our own choice. Angels are too. Uh, God neither caused Adam and Eve to sin nor prevent them, even in light of staggering consequences. Do we get to make choices? Yes, we do. Then not everything that happens is the will of God. If no, we don't get to choose, then God is the ultimate micromanager and causes ISIS to rise up in the world and behead innocent people. There's, there's a way to do things that, that's right. If you run your hand backwards on a two by four, you're gonna get slivers. If you approach an elk upwind, he's, you're gonna spook him. One of the ways he says to deal with uh, uh, our prayer is to calibrate ourselves. And Hebrews chapter 12 says this in verse two, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and sin. There's more than sin that hinders us. There's other stuff that hinders us on the way to doing the right thing. And let's run with, run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you and I. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why am I saying that? I said, because sometimes I don't think we, we are able to fix our eyes on Jesus when we pray. You know what we end up doing? We fix ourselves on our crisis. Oh, yeah, we give him a casual glance when we're praying. But what about if you fixed your eyes on him and you see, you just have a look at him at Gethsemane. He said, oh, there's an easy way to do this. I'm not taking the easy way. I'm going to do the right thing. It might be the hard thing, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm resolved to do the right thing. Because there are going to be some people in 2022 that are going to need salvation or they're going to have to understand that the Father loves them so much that I'm willing to go publicly and humiliate myself. So I fix my eyes on the one that's not going to give up on me so I don't give up on him. I did. When we can fix our eyes on him, everything changes. For me, so much of my prayer time is focused on myself. You want those, Lord, get me out of here kind of things. But he says, if you'll look at me and you'll see what I did. He, what was he doing? I don't know if you remember in the story of Lazarus or not, because he goes there and, and Jesus is not, is he feeling for the widows or Mary and Martha? But here's what he did. Three times, this is in scripture. He looks at, he looks at someone who's sealed in a grave and a stone needs to move. So what does he do? It says he looked up. What's he doing? He's fixing his eyes on the Father. No, I'm, I'm giving you one of the, this is a golden key to prayer. Jesus is about to do something impossible. He's got a few fish and a few loaves of bread. What does it say he did? He said, okay, everybody sit down. And he looks up. It's like, what's he doing? It's like a man waiting to remember something that he may have forgotten. What's he doing? He's recalling who his heavenly daddy is. He's recalling, he's looking up. When you look at John chapter 17, right at the beginning, before he prays, it says, and then Jesus looked up. We need to, in our times of prayer, moment by moment, minute to minute, before we start whining, groveling, groaning, and moaning, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus.
it would have been so easy to sidestep the cross. Love so amazing and so divine demands my life, my heart, my all. This morning, I'm going to ask people to rededicate themselves to this one who is dedicated to us. I think I'm speaking to lots of people who have an understanding who Jesus is, maybe a savior. Maybe even understand what he paid for on the cross, but what he's asking us to do now is not to take up his cross, but take up our own. This is salvation. When we take up our own cross, that's discipleship. Would you just stand with me, please? Because the question is sort of simple. Within each of us, there's a desire to do a good thing. Maybe we're lacking a little bit of gumption or grit. Maybe we've been just a little bit too um, nice in our prayers. And you wonder, gosh, that felt a bit anemic. Well, it's maybe because you weren't honest. I wonder, I wonder if in our prayer time we could be like turn off the religious editor and turn on our heart like David and like Jesus and be willing to pour out our heart to him. This, this changed my walks with, this changed me. Lord, I'm wondering, are you ever going to come through? He heard and then he changed it. Before I got a block away, Lord, I know you're coming through because that's who you are. Father, this morning, as we're coming up to right into the week of passion, there was that time when you were so celebrated, but you knew what you were going towards and you were not going to give up until you finished. You, you, were, you are entitled to be the author and finisher because you authored and finished your work on the cross. Lord, this morning I'm with, with my family. And Lord, I feel like for me, for me, trying to do the right thing has actually created a whole bunch of frustration within me, some disappointment, and even some separation between you and I. I've been too holy with my language, my emotions. So Father, I thank you that you were willing to say, uh, even though I feel crushed, Lord, strengthen me because I need to finish the work on the cross. You had to do the right thing and be committed all the way. Father, there's some here, I believe, who've only been going part way. And today they need to say, Lord, I need to go all the way. And I just ask you to dim the lights, please. Father, as you move on our hearts, uh, we're, we're not weighing out our prayer life. We're weighing out our revelation of who you are for us in this season. And so I just ask, Lord, that this season you give us a fresh revelation of who you are and what you're like so that we can fix our eyes on you, the victor, the overcomer. Father, now move on hearts, I pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, which would you just identify yourself by saying, I want to recommit my life to the Lord by just shooting up your hand quickly where you're standing. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thanks. Just shoot it up quick. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else back there? Thank you. A little bit, just a few minutes more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? This is, this is that moment. 
or we may have been fixing our eyes on somebody other than Jesus, may have been fixing our eyes on ourselves or on our crisis, and we don't realize that he's the way, the truth, and the light. Anybody else? Just put your hand up so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, love so amazing. Lord, I, I ask on behalf of everybody that's raised their hands because they are resolved to do the right thing. But Lord, they need your power. Their power to be honest with themselves and your power, to, their, your power to be honest in their world and their environment right now. So Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you this season. I pray for each one that raised their hands. God, for the, your power. To, afresh that our eyes could be single looking at you. No dark corners. Lord, let us resolve to do the right thing, to serve you and follow you with our whole hearts this season. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being in church this morning. If you have any prayer needs, you're, uh, we'll be, there's a prayer team that would love to meet with you at the front. Thank you for being in church today. Melissa is going to close it. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.